Well, if you will, turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and as you find it, you can stand to your feet. This is another one of the sermons that I... Well, actually, this is the first of the sermons that I heard, and as I heard it recently, I said, I need to preach that. So I'm greatly indebted to my brother, Jason Dome, who uh, we could say poured the water down in the well uh, and primed the pump as I listened to this and realized how desperately our church needs to hear this sermon on child discipline. And not necessarily because I see everyone's children running wild and every child doing what is right in his own eyes, but this, this should be something or should have been covered uh, at least two years ago, if not more. Um, but I heard it and I, and I felt like uh, it would be edifying to our congregation. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll read verses 1 through 4. I'm not going to do an exposition of these verses, but I think this will at least set in your mind the topic, and then we'll come back to these verses at the end. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. What a, what a pleasure it is to hear Your Word read. Oh, how fruitful. And edifying to my soul it is to hear the Word of God read. I pray that you would bless the reading of your Word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come and preach to us now. Preach to our hearts. I can say a lot to the ears. And I might could even get some stuff into the brains. But Holy Spirit, you have to come and teach our hearts. And so I pray that you'd do that. Oh Lord, we pray for our children. We want to see them saved. And we thank you for the means that you've given us to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Pilate did have authority over the man Christ Jesus. And it was given to him from God. Addressing that same type of authority, the authority of the civil magistrate, but I think this can be taken more broadly. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, Paul says, There is no authority except from God. And those that, have, that exist have been instituted by God. Now one thing we learn from texts like these and others is that there are positions of legitimate authority on the earth filled by men. They have authority. The authority is not in the men themselves, but the authority is given to them from God. But it is legitimate authority nonetheless. In other words, God uses men like Pilate the civil magistrate and others, to extend his authority. It's God's authority. He exercises it by using men. This is, falls under the heading of the doctrine of sphere sovereignty. God has instituted the civil government. God has instituted the church. God has instituted the family. These are areas, extensions of God's own authority 
over men on the earth. When it comes to the government, we can see in Romans 13 that it is the job of the civil government to bear the sword. And Paul says he does not bear the sword in vain. As for the church, the church bears the keys of the kingdom. We read of that in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, so that the business that we handled prior to the service, we have every bit of God's own authority to do that because God has given that authority by us wielding the keys of the kingdom. And when it comes to the family, God has given the rod. And so what I want to do is consider the appropriate use of the rod as an extension of God's authority in your family. Now this hopefully will have application for everybody here. If you are married and you have children, it will be very obvious what the application is and how it should apply to you because I'm going to be speaking primarily to those who are married and who have children living in the home. If you're married and you have no children or you have, no, you have grown children, no children in the home, then you need to listen so that you can understand how we all as a church are going to agree that our children are to be disciplined. If we're all on the same page as, as it regards the discipline of our children, then I will have no problem if my, one of my kids comes running to me and says, Daddy, Alex whooped me. I can say, it's probably because you needed it. And I'm not going to give any sympathy. And that can be reciprocal because we'll be on the same page. If you're single, not married, no children, Store these things up because you're going to need them. You're going to need them. If your children, children, listen, you need to understand and hear that your parents have a job to do given to them from God and they have to obey. Just like you have to obey your parents, your parents have to obey the Lord. And so listen to hear what is mom's job? What is dad's job? And that specifically with regard to getting spankings. So what I want to do is I'll, I'll state my axiom, what I'm going to try to prove, and then we'll open it up. So here's what I believe we can learn or what we should glean today. When used in accord with the biblical guidelines, the rod of discipline is a means of grace for your children. When the rod is neglected or used outside of the biblical guidelines, it will be a means of hardening your children in their natural rebellion against God. I'll say it again. When used in accord with the biblical guidelines, the rod of discipline is a means of grace for your children. And when it is neglected or when it is used outside of the biblical guidelines, it is, it is a means of hardening your children in their natural rebellion against God. Now I'm going to develop this using three lines of thought. First, we'll look at foundational considerations. Secondly, we'll look at theological presuppositions. And thirdly, we'll look at practical applications. And these three points are not going to be equal in length or attention, so don't get nervous. Heading number one then, foundational considerations. We need to establish what the rod is and what is its purpose in the discipline and instruction of our children. So first, let's define the rod. The word that is translated in English as rod is used 190 times in the Old Testament. And the word that's translated rod is used 12 times in the New Testament. That's, a, that's 202 times that this word or the, this group of words, this kind of word that is very often translated rod is used in the, in the Bible. Now, it's not always translated rod. So I want to explain to you how this word is translated and used and defined. And hopefully you get a picture in your mind of what this rod looks like. When I say the word rod, that already begins to put a picture in your head. The word defined, a long, thin implement made of wood or metal. Now that could still be sort of vague. <clears throat> so, the same words 
that are translated rod are also translated or used in reference to a walking stick. A shepherd's weapon, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A shepherd's weapon used to ward off wolves, lions, bears, attackers, thieves. This, word, this implement could also be used as a measuring tool or an instrument of discipline. So think about that. Picture all of these things. A walking stick, a shepherd's weapon, a shepherd's staff, a king's scepter, a measuring tool, an instrument of discipline. Hopefully you understand that when we talk about the rod, we're talking about a certain kind of stick with a particular strength and rigidity. You don't walk, you don't go on a walking, on a path out through the woods carrying a piece of spaghetti. Right? You use a stick that's going to hold you up. A, a particular strength and rigidity. Now this idea of the rod as an instrument of discipline also is used not just for the, the rod itself, but also the idea of corporal punishment. For example, in 1 Corinthians 4.21, Paul says to the church at Corinth, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness. Now there, that word rod is used to describe the attitude of discipline. Paul's not threatening that he might really come to the church and pull out his rod and line everybody up and say, all right, we're all getting spankings. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the attitude of discipline. And notice that it is, is a contrast. There's either the rod or gentleness. See, they're, they're, they're laid against each other. So we learn the rod is not gentle. You can either have the rod or you can have gentleness. We see the same thing in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15 where it says, From His mouth, speaking of our Lord in His return, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. That I think is a direct... Uh, fulfillment of Psalm 2 and verse 9 where the, it says of the sun you shall break, speaking of the nations, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Again, think of that rod that will dash in pieces the potter's vessel. The implications that we can deduce from this when we think about the rod as an instrument of discipline is that it is used for striking, hitting, spanking. It's not gentle. And it is meant to inflict pain. That's the rod. You have the picture in your mind of what kind of a stick, what kind of a rod would be used of a particular strength, a particular rigidity that would be used to strike, specifically the behind, in order to inflict pain. Hopefully you got the picture in your mind of that rod. Now with that in mind, as a one of our foundations, let's look at the second foundational consideration, and that is the threefold mission of the rod. The threefold mission of the rod. And now we're moving specifically into the area of child discipline. Now, when I say threefold mission, think of a threefold brochure. It's one brochure, it's just folded three times, it has three flaps. We're not setting forth three separate goals. The rod has one goal primarily in the Scriptures, but you can divide it out into three separate concepts that all work together to the primary goal. Threefold, the threefold mission of the rod. Number one, drive out the folly. Number two, drive in the wisdom. And number three, ultimately, spiritual rescue. Well, I think the sermon guide says eternal salvation. Drive out the folly, drive in the wisdom, and then ultimately spiritual rescue or eternal salvation. First, the use of the rod as an instrument to inflict physical pain for the purpose of discipline works to drive out the folly, to drive the foolishness out of your child's heart. Proverbs 22 and verse 15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. 
but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now there are two parts. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. If you read the Proverbs, or the whole Bible in general, the Proverbs specifically, you learn that proverb, or, um, folly, foolishness, is not simply youthful silliness. It's not just youthful ignorance. Folly is not, well, they put their shoes on the wrong feet. They uh, hold the spoon on the wrong end and try to eat with the handle. That's not folly. Folly in the Proverbs is a disdain for God's truth. It is a disdain for discipline, a disdain for correction, a rejection of instruction. In other words, as one commentator says, folly is fatally wayward. Folly takes you to hell. That same commentator says, the fool has closed his mind to God. That's folly. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The very same thing that's mentioned in Genesis 8.21, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's the folly. That's where it leads them. In Romans 1.21, Paul's describing the, the natural condition of, of men apart from Christ, and he says they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. What's being described in that phrase is the depraved state of the human heart and mind, which is disposed naturally against God, against every good way, against every right way. In other words, when I say, or when the, the proverb says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, we're talking about a spiritual problem. We don't have mental illness. It's spiritual. They have a spiritual problem. It's not developmental. It's not educational. It's not a maturity problem. It's a spiritual problem bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. It will drive the foolishness, the folly, far from the child. The use of the rod is a means to separate spiritually waywardness from the heart of the child. It's, it's used to get it out. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to get out the folly. But then secondly, of course, we know that if you uh, get rid of one demon and sweep the house and clean it and leave it empty, seven more demons are going to come and take their place. Or he's actually going to go and bring seven more with him. So if we're going to drive out the folly, we've got to put something back in, right? That's the second of this threefold mission. The rod will drive in the wisdom. The use of the rod as an instrument to inflict physical pain for the purpose of discipline works to drive in wisdom. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod coupled with reproof. A reproof is verbally explaining the, the wrongness, the inappropriateness of the actions. You explain it. So the rod and reproof. Use the rod and explain the error and that will give wisdom. And notice... Neither the rod nor the reproof are enough in themselves. It's not enough just to spank. It's not enough just to sit down with little Johnny and say, Now listen, now let me explain to you what you did wrong, and here's why it's wrong. All right, buddy, you got it. All right, let's, let's see if we can do better. That's not enough. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Both of them are prescribed and... The verb there is singular, give, both of them together, give wisdom. And so as you explain the behavioral problem and then discipline with the rod, you are pressing home to the hearts of your children what is right and what is wrong about their behavior. You can say it and then you can seal it with the rod. And that helps to drive it in. 
their hearts. Again, this assumes biblical explanations and definitions of what's right and wrong. We have to be biblical about the what is correct, what is godly, what is ungodly. But assuming that, give the reproof, use the rod. These come together to give wisdom. So we drive out the folly, then we drive in the wisdom, and these things work together as a means of grace for spiritual rescue or eternal salvation. Both, both will work. While we certainly affirm the sovereignty of God in salvation, that God saves whoever He wants, whenever He wants. And we would affirm, again, wholeheartedly, unashamedly, without blushing, that there is nothing that any person can do, actively do, to secure, guarantee their own salvation or the salvation of somebody else. We also affirm that God has given us means to use by which His saving graces may come. He's given us the means. For your children, one of the means is the rod of discipline. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. From Sheol. Now, Sheol goes, goes, could go either way. It could be positive or it could be negative. It just means the place of the dead. But here, notice the negative connotation. We're trying to save a soul from it. So therefore, I think it's safe to assume Sheol here is bad. It's where, the, it's where bad people go when they die. We're trying to save our children from Sheol. And so he says, if you discipline with a rod, it is a means to use as you seek the eternal salvation of the souls of your children. It's not the only means, but it is a means. Now think of it this way. There's no reason to expect, and again, God's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. But there's no reason for us to expect God to save those who have rejected the means He's given. You reject every means God gives. You reject the Scriptures. You reject Christian fellowship. You reject the church. There's no reason to expect that God is just going to come and save you anyway. He's been trying and you've rejected all of the means. I say trying reverently, of course. At the same time, there's no reason to doubt God's ability to save those who use the means He's given. No reason to doubt. No reason to expect if we reject everything He's given. No reason to doubt if we will use the means He's given. The disciplinary rod will drive out innate foolishness. Coupled with reproof, it will drive in spiritual wisdom. And together, these are one of the means of saving grace for your children. Do you want your children to be saved? Then use the rod. Are you indifferent to the salvation of your children? You say, you know, it really doesn't matter to me. If you are indifferent to the salvation of your children, then feel free to substitute your own methods for discipline or just neglect discipline altogether. I hope that I could say that we're all or none of us are indifferent to the salvation of our children. We want our children to be born again and one of the means God has given to that end, to accomplish that purpose, is the rod of discipline. Now the final foundational consideration is the divine motive for the rod. The divine motive. What should be undergirding or holding up or, or should, what emotion should influence every swing of the rod, every thwack of the rod on the behind of our child? What emotion is behind that? Is it anger? Because they, they, they just won't listen. They just won't do what you're saying. Or they're, they're interrupting something you're trying to do. They're interrupting your conversation and so you're angry and so you use the rod. Is it pride? Because, well, they're, they're embarrassing you in front of your church friends. Is it disappointment? 
because, well, you know they're smarter than this and they just, they just won't do it, so you're just disappointed. The answer is love. Love must undergird, support, must be the emotion behind every swing of the rod. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. If you do not use the rod of discipline, that is evidence that you hate your children. Having been given clear revelation from the Scriptures on the issue of discipline, to remain apathetic or to reject the rod is evidence that you're actively seeking their harm. Because the Bible very clearly says, here's the problem with their heart, here's how to get it out, here's what they need, and here's how to get it in, and here's the goal, here's the blessing that we can expect from the Lord if we'll use the means, and when you say, nah, I think I would rather do it this way. What you're saying is, I hate my child. I would rather that depravity just stay bound up in their heart to their eternal demise than hurt their bottom once or twice. We have to love our children. And if we love our children, we'll use the rod. Now, why do I call this the divine motive? Turn with me to Hebrews 12 for a second. This is a divine motive. Now we could just say anyone who loves has been born of God. But I think specifically with the area of discipline and parental discipline, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, explains very clearly. He says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What a, what a blessing is that phrase. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That phrase right there causes me sometimes to wonder because I don't suffer like I see brothers and sisters suffering. And I wonder, Lord, well, I wonder. Besides this, he says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For if, or for the... The moment of discipline, or for the, for the moment rather, sorry, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now we could preach, a, all of it's found right here. Everything I'm saying is found right here. We're working towards holiness. For the moment it seems painful. If it's not painful, you're not doing it right. It's not pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit. It takes training. We have to be trained by it. That's a process. It's all found here. But notice, this is what God is doing to us. It is a mark of sonship. It is God saying, I love you, son. That's why I'm disciplining you. That's why I'm allowing you or actually bringing you this short momentary pain because I've got a greater picture in mind. I want your holiness rather than your happiness. We discipline our children in the way God has commanded, namely the rod, because we love them. And by doing so, we're teaching them about the love that we have received from our Father as His children. If you love your children, if you seek the salvation of your children, you will accept no substitute for the rod of discipline. So that's the first heading foundational considerations, and it is the longest. We'll, we'll move more quickly here. Secondly, theological presuppositions. Theological presuppositions. 
We have to stop for a minute and remind ourselves of what it is that we believe. When we begin to talk about means of grace, we begin to talk about the hopeful expectation that we have based on the means of grace, means of grace primarily meaning the things that we do as Christians, we have to stop and remember our theological, or I could even say gospel, presuppositions. In other words, as a Christian, there are things that I do that are commanded very clearly, why do I do them? What is the foundational presupposition or, or the gospel presupposition behind everything I do? Now, there are two ways that we, we can act, either God-centered or man-centered. When I come to worship on the Lord's Day, I can do it centered around man or centered around God. When I get up in the morning and I read the Scriptures by myself, I can do it to please man or to please God. I can do it in a man-centered way or a God-centered way. When it comes to disciplining my children, I can do it in a God-centered way or a man-centered way. Man-centered discipline focuses purely on behavioral modification. This cannot be our end goal. It sees discipline as the use or and the use of the rod as a means to merely get our children to act a certain way. Carry out specific duties in a specific way so that they look like good moral children and that will make me look like a good, dutiful parent. So we make them dress a certain way simply for the sake of looking holy. We educate them at home simply to keep them from acting like other children. And I can spank my children just to get them to do certain things, and it'll work. Now, to be clear, when our children are young, we are to have expectations as to how they act, and it is not acceptable to say, well, you know, their, heart, their foolish hearts are darkened, they're full of foolishness, so it wouldn't be right for me to, to press upon them any imperatives, to give them any rules and hold them to a consistent form of action because, well, their hearts aren't in it. No, when they're young, when they're, before they're converted, we set forth, this is how you act. And we hold them consistently to that standard of actions. And the rod is to be used in that area but again, only as a means to more grace. We're always looking for greater salvific grace. We always want them to be eventually saved. And so behavioral modification is never the end goal. We want them to modify their behavior. They have to modify their behavior. But that's not the end goal. The rod plus reproof will give them the wisdom they need. And hopefully God will use that wisdom to convict their hearts. But just to modify behavior, that's man-centered rather than God-centered discipline which seeks to transform our children into worshipers of God. And that's what we want. We use the rod, we accompany the rod with reproof and correction so that hopefully God will use all of these things to bring our children to Himself. This is no different than the work of the law of God on a small scale in the heart of a child. It's just the law. The same thing the law does to us, convicts us of our sin, shows us our need for a Savior, points us to the one who has fulfilled it in our place. This is what the rod does. This is rod and reproof. We use reproof and the rod to help them see that their actions are not right because they are not right. And you've got to explain that. It's not just your actions. These are tools to show them you are in desperate need of a work of Almighty God in your heart. Can you not see that you just got a spanking for this yesterday and you didn't like it and now you're doing it again today? Do you see something's wrong with your heart? There's something driving you beyond physical comfort that's causing you to act in a certain way? It's because your heart is sinful. We use this to explain their actions are not right because their hearts are not right and they can't change their hearts. No matter how much they try, they cannot change their hearts before God. So we can't be content with children who simply dress appropriately or educated appropriately, sit in church quietly, say yes ma'am and no ma'am. All of these things should be happening, but that's not the end goal. That's not salvation. The minute that we stop and say we have good moral well-dressed, well-speaking children, well-educated. The minute we stop there, we've missed the point. That's not the goal. 
The ultimate goal is salvation, a spiritual reality accomplished by the Holy Spirit. We use the rod to that end. So those, that's the theological presupposition. We're always working in a God-centered way to produce worshipers. Thirdly then, practical applications. This is going to be the most fun. Practical applications. Once we learn, understand, we have a picture in our mind of what this rod looks like. We see that the Scripture is very clearly mandated as a means of grace. We see that our goal is to produce worshipers. We have a goal in mind and God has given us the means to that goal. What do we do? Number one, Dad, you are the primary disciplinarian. The Father is the primary disciplinarian. Now, mom may be at home with the children more, may have more opportunities with the children to discipline, and she can. I'm not saying that mom can't spank. She can. But the father is to be the primary disciplinarian, and there are ways that you can order your family so that the children know that's how it goes. That dad is the primary disciplinarian. Again, I think it's just common sense. Mom, mothers are geared, women in general are geared more toward nurture and gentleness. Dads are geared more towards structure and correction and bringing obedience. And so the father is to be the primary disciplinarian. So dads, don't sit back and wait for your wife to act. Act. Do not watch your child disobey. We'll get, in, get into some of those things in a minute. Why we what we spank for, but don't sit back and watch it and look at her and give her the look. Like, get up and do something about this. I, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. We can't do it. If we're there, it's our job. The Father is the primary disciplinarian. Number two, use the rod. Use the rod. Do not think, when it comes to discipline, that you are more kind than God or that you are more gentle than God or that you are more wise than God or that your child is an anomaly that does not need the rod like every other child that's ever been born since Cain and Abel. They all need it. There are, no, there, there are no qualifications or caveats to the use of the rod, so use the rod. Don't substitute other disciplinary actions for the rod. Just use the rod. Use the rod. Number three, again, when spanking your children, anger cannot be the motivation. It cannot. Your children need to know when you're spanking them, mommy or daddy, I'm going I'm to use daddy. Daddy's not angry. Daddy's doing his job. Daddy's working now. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want to do this. But he has to. They need to know that. Dad's not angry. There are things that you can do, ways that you can handle them, facial expressions you can use that make your children think you're angry with them rather than I've got a job to do. You cannot spank out of anger. Let your children know the Bible says I have to do this. As they get older and are able to reason, I've done this many times, explain to them the sin, explain to them the Bible commands me to spank and let them decide. Do you want daddy to disobey God and not give you a spanking? I've never had them answer, please. They always say with tears and trembling lip, you have to obey God. Explain that you're doing your job as their father, but you can't do it out of anger. Number four, the use of the rod must be the first response, not the last resort to any of the three D's. I'll get to the three D's in a minute, but let me repeat that. The use of the rod must be the first response. Not the last resort to any of the three D's. Dishonesty, disobedience, and disrespect. The rod is the first response to any dishonesty. 
That should be self-explanatory, telling lies, concealing or holding back the truth, not giving the whole truth, things like that. The rod should be the first response. Number two, disobedience. Again, that fairly explanatory, deliberately doing what they've been told not to do. And again, we're assuming that they understood what they were not to do and they did it anyway. Deliberately doing what they've been told not to do or failing to do what they've been clearly commanded to do. Give clear commands. If they're clear on the commands and they don't do it, that's disobedience. The rod is to be the first response to dishonesty, disobedience, and then thirdly, disrespect. First response to any disrespect. That would be words of disrespect, manners of speaking that are disrespectful to you or to any other adult, or it could be to any other child if, it's a, um, if, if the child understands what they're doing, if they, they realize what they're, they're being disrespectful. Words of disrespect, uh, showing out or pitching fits. That's disrespect. Stomping on the ground, falling down on the floor and pitching a fit. That's disrespect. That's saying to mom and dad, I don't believe you have the right to tell me what to do and I'll show you what I want to do. Don't let them lay. Don't stand back and say, well, I'll just let you make a, make a fool of yourself. Just embarrass yourself. They don't have shame. They're not embarrassed by what they're doing. You're embarrassed. Don't let it happen. The first response Help them stand up with the rod of discipline. We don't work up to spanking. We start with it. We don't count to three. We address it promptly. Because all you do is, all you're doing when you work up to a spanking or count is you're training them to test you. You're training them to push their limits and they will do it. They're not converted. They're unregenerate. And they will do it. They will push every limit you give them. That's the folly that's in their heart. It's bound up and it has to be driven out. Uh, several questions. The, the fifth application. How young is too young for a spanking? How young is too young for a spanking? Or, or, or how early should we start? As a general rule, earlier than you think. Earlier than you think. And this is the, the, the application that I heard and it makes perfect sense. If you're changing a diaper and they can rear up on their heels and on their shoulder blades to get away from you, they're old enough for a spanking. They're old enough for the rod because what they're doing is saying, you don't have authority over me. I don't want to do this right now. And you address it with the rod. But again, it's usually, almost always, start earlier than you think you should. Don't, don't respond with, well, they don't know. You're right. They don't know. Folly is bound up in their hearts. It's your job to drive it out. So, drive it out with the rod. How old is too old, number six? Or, or when, when do we stop? Again, think about the question, how old is too old? What you're assuming in that question is that God's instructions don't work. And that if I start early and I'm consistent with the use of the rod, that I'm going to be doing this until they're 18 years old and it's just going to get awkward. Rather than... I believe what God says will work. And if I start early enough and am consistent enough, I'll never have to ask, are they too old for a whooping at this point? They'll, they'll learn a long time before that. And you won't have to be giving corporal punishment in this way. So the, the question, how old is too old? Just start young, be consistent, do what the Bible says, and when you get there, we can talk about it. Number seven, another question. How many is too many? Uh, speaking of specific or individual licks, or some prefer the term thwaps, or <laughs> insert your own uh, onomatopoeia there. How many is too many? Again, this is just a suggestion. I, when I came back from hearing this sermon, I had to gather my children around and apologize to them for not spanking them long enough. I wasn't doing it long enough. Um, but these are just suggestions. If they're still trying to get away, they're still trying to block with the hands, keep going. You haven't gotten to the point where they realize, I'm not in control here. You have to get them to the point where they realize, I've done something wrong, and the only way I'm getting out of this is if I take my punishment. 
So however many that is. I, 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 what I did is got the stick and I showed the kids. Here's going to be a small whooping. One, two, three, four, five. And all of their eyes just swelled up. Because before I was just given a little one, two. And I said, and here's what's going to happen if you don't listen. And I doubled it up. And I said, that's a big whooping. They got into a, uh, we like to barter sometimes. Can I have a small whooping, big whooping? That's sort of gone out the window now because a small whooping. Anyway, um, the point, people use the phrase, you have to break their will um, or bend their will. And that, those phrases can be taken to a bunch of different places. The point is they have to realize they are the child, you are the parent, and they just have to deal with it. They have to learn... I listen, and I don't get out of this. There's no way to ease the pain. Um, how hard is too hard? Number eight. How hard is too hard? Um, if they're not obviously, physically affected by what you're doing, it's not hard enough. If they look at you and grin, it's not hard enough. The pain should be effectual. The pain is the point. The reason the rod works, and this is just getting into the... Uh, the physics of this. The reason the rod works is because it hurts. If it, if it didn't hurt or it felt pleasurable, it wouldn't work as discipline. It has to hurt. It's supposed to hurt. If your children, my, my, my kids say, I don't want a whooping. Exactly. That's why it works because you don't want this to happen. It's supposed to hurt. Um, if they are upset with you when you get done, if they're angry at you, it wasn't hard enough. You have to break their will. As a sub-point to that, I would say take into consideration diapers. That's just padding, okay? Take, think about that diaper. We've all been to the place, I, I would imagine, where we've, we knew a whooping was coming and so we put on extra underwear. We're getting ready for that because we know it's coming. That's a diaper. It's just padding. They can't feel it through a diaper most often. So, again, I would try to avoid, if you, as much as you can, uh, bruising or marks that last to the next day. With a, with a baby or the child, it's pretty hard not to leave a mark. But the pain is the point. It's supposed to hurt. Number nine, remember that the rod is only one slice of the disciplinary pie. There has to be rebuke and correction. You have to explain to them the problem. You have to explain to them the gospel. Explain to them the heart issues. Explain to them why you're doing what you're doing. You can't just spank them. Especially when they're young, a lot of times they have no idea why they're getting spanked. A lot of times they do, but they may not. And you need to explain to them very clearly, I said not to do that, and you did that. What is that called? Disobedience. What do you have to, what does the Bible say daddy has to do if a child disobeys? Give a spanking. So then what does daddy have to do right now? Give a spanking. And they know. You have to talk them through it and explain what's happening. Number 10, do not conclude that it's not working. One spanking is not going to be enough, usually not going to be enough. Don't, don't conclude, well, I whooped them for this yesterday. They did it again. I guess God's prescription doesn't work. Don't conclude it's not working. Even if you have been long and consistent in your discipline with the rod, don't assume that it's not working. Assume it's just more training. We're still working. But don't conclude that it's not working. Number 11, if you threaten to spank, do it. If you threaten to spank, then spank. In rare occasions where you feel like some mercy might could be extended, maybe you can tell by what happened that they didn't mean to do what they did, or they were not clear on the instructions, or you're just feeling particularly generous, maybe you're in a public place and you want to give a little bit of mercy before you come, then explain to them those moments of mercy as in, in uh, rarity. As they are rare, explain, I'm being merciful right now because I said the next time. Now I really mean it. I'm giving you a little bit of mercy. But again, explain it. Don't just keep saying, I'm going to spank you. I'm going to spank you. I'm going to spank you. you. You might as well be talking to the wall. If you threaten to spank, do it. 
Number 12, make clear lines of expectation and enforce with consistency. One, one way that we can discipline wrongly is when we're not clear on what we're commanding or what we're uh, prohibiting and then we spank them when they disobey when really in their minds they weren't disobeying. They didn't know the rules. When they're, when they're little, it doesn't help to say, I don't like it when you do that. When they're small, you need to say, do not do that. As they get older, they, be, they, they learn that what daddy doesn't like usually gets me in trouble, so I better not do it. But be clear on the commands. Be clear on prohibitions. And when you, when you draw clear lines and everybody understands, then enforce with consistency. And they'll get the picture very quickly. Number 13, in all of this, secure their future. Secure their future. I'll read from Ephesians 6 again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, however, that old covenant promises translates over into the new covenant. It's still there. The general equity of it is still there. I believe it could be... Um, it, it, there's probably a, a physical, temporal application. If you listen to your parents and do what they say, you're, you're probably going to live longer. You're just going to have a longer life because you're not going to run off into foolishness and folly and drugs and crime and the things that kill people early. But there's probably even more than that, a spiritual application. The, the promises of the land of Canaan are fulfilled ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. And it, the promise still stands. Paul didn't say, well, forget about that Old Testament stuff. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. You can help your children live long in the land by training them to honor you. You have a job to teach them how to honor you so that they can then honor you to secure this promise. You bring their will into subjection to their God-given authorities. Teach them to honor their parents. And that will be an effectual means of grace. And I think that commandment should be spread out and applies to all areas of authority. Because when you learn to honor your parents, then you learn to honor other authorities, the police and the government and so on and so forth. And you have a more peaceful, quiet life when you learn to honor your parents. If you do it consistently and properly, it will rarely be needed as they get older. If you do it right, it'll rarely be needed. We, we think of these things and we think, my kids, they're, they're just going to be blistered and all their, their whole lives. And that's more than likely not the case. If you will start early and be consistent, you won't have to spank nearly as often as you think. If you're doing it a lot now, more than likely the problem is you've been inconsistent, you've not been clear, or you're not doing it hard enough. That's probably the problem. Uh, I'll close with, with uh, one last application that's long, but I think it would be helpful. What about in church? What about in church? I think some people believe that a family-integrated church is a church where we all just sit and listen to our children scream while we wrap a bear hug around them and, and don't let them move no matter what even when it's an obvious and clear distraction to everybody around, we say, no, we're a family integrated church. I'm not moving. Or when they're committing one of the three Ds, we just sit there. Well, we're a family integrated church. We can't move. And that's not true. We do believe families should worship together because that's the only prescription the Bible ever gives, the only picture of the Bible ever gives of worship is families worshiping together. But that does not mean that we check our common sense at the door because we're coming into worship. Now the opposite is also a tendency that we have as some of us have sort of transitioned into a family integrated church and it's still kind of awkward to us. The other tendency is every time there's a peep, we get up and run out. We just grab the child and run it. That, and that's also something that needs to be avoided. We need to pay attention to what's happening with the child. Remember that the goal is that as they grow, over time they are trained 
to sit through a worship service and participate in worship. Participate in what we're doing. Training takes time with anybody. It's hard work. It's not going to happen the first Sunday that you bring a newborn into the congregation. They're not going to sit on the pew by themselves with their Bible in their lap. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, I would suggest, in the first three or four years of a child being in a church service. Most often. Usually it's going to take longer than that for them to be trained, at least to sit and participate in the different activities. But the goal is that they learn to sit through the service and participate. That means anything that I'm doing that will unnecessarily hinder them from that goal should be avoided. Because I want them to learn how to come to church and worship. So, in church, address the three D's. Again, um, dishonesty, disobedience, disrespect. Almost always, almost always going to be the father addressing the discipline issues. If dad's there and he can do it, dad address the discipline issues and address it promptly and return to the service quickly. Do not go outside and play. Go walk around. In other words, don't reward your children for disobedience. Your children know what they're doing. They're smarter than you think they are. So don't reward them. Dad's the disciplinarian in the worship service. At lunch, all the time when we're at church, the same rules apply. But again, don't reward them. Your kids know I can pitch a little bit of fit here and get out of this mess where I can just go run around and look at stuff. So don't reward them. Um, and, and, and one of the things that has kind of put me on hold with regard to putting a, a television monitor in the room back here is because I don't want to become a place where you know, all the men are out here in the worship services and all the moms are back there watching the service on the TV um, and creating an atmosphere where the children are more entertained when they are disobedient. If there is crying... Zach's not here, I would call him up because he is trained and educated in uh, the art of putting out fires. And he, I believe he can verify, we might can verify this with him later, this fact. Small fires are easier to put out than big fires. If there's crying, find out the problem and address the problem. Again, Dad is the disciplinarian. If it's a discipline issue, deal with it. Mom is going to tend towards caregiver. If it's a care problem, deal with it as much as possible. Now, when you've got two parents and, Lord willing, eight to twelve kids lined up on each side of you, that, that, you're going to have to juggle all of that. And you're going to have the oldest kid who's going to be holding uh, the youngest one and so on and so forth. And, 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 and that's not a hard and fast rule all the time in every situation, but dad is to be the disciplinarian, mom is to be the caregiver, but don't baby your children in church. If they're, if they're disobeying, take them out, spank them, and bring them back in. Train them to sit and to listen. If there is constant, what I've called, vocal activity. Children are vocal, right? Ba -ba 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 -ba, they just make noise. That's good. We, we want the children to learn to speak and to make noise. In the worship service, if there's constant vocal activity, that is getting more and more and more louder and louder and louder. Address it. Again, small fires are easier to put out than big fires. If you know, and hopefully you've been around your children enough to know, that if they start at a goo, 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 and in, in three seconds they're at a goo, 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 if you know that, then when you, hear the, when you feel that small fire, address it. Small fires are easier to pick out, put out than big fires. Um, what I do... Pat the mouth and just say no. Just pat their mouth. Let them know I'm talking about what's coming out of right here. No, just light. And if they persist, then just get a little harder. Let them know I'm, we need to deal with whatever's coming out of this hole in your face. And so, touch it. No. But again, we're not saying there can't be any noise or that they're not allowed to speak or breathe. Um, again, we're, we're not checking our common sense at the door. Um, try to keep your children facing the speaker facing the front as much as you can. Again, it's not, this is not hard and fast, you know, church discipline because somebody's kid turned around or anything like that. 
as much as you can. Remember, the goal is to train them to participate. And the primary thing that we do in the worship service is look and hear the Word of God. And so we train our children to look forward. When they turn around, they distract others. You all don't know it because you can't see. But I can sit here and be preaching and bringing a very hard point of specific application and see somebody in the congregation doing this. Almost every, every service. You know why? Because there's a kid in front of them that I'm not looking at who's turned around. And we love kids. So we see a kid, it just, we, we just want to look at them. We want to make faces at them. We want to get them to smile. But what, what's happening is your child is being a distraction to somebody else from hearing the Word. And, um, and we, so we just need to be conscious of that. Um, again, I'll remind you that children know how to use their needs to get things. They know how to manipulate you and say... So-and-so is going to the bathroom. I've got to use the bathroom. And they know, because they've trained us this way, that when they say they've got to go to the bathroom, we drop everything we're doing. And we say, yes, sir. And we follow them to the bathroom rather than saying, sit and hold it. But they know how to use their needs to get things that they want. Don't fall for that. Don't fall in that trap. You are the parent. You know what time church starts. It hasn't changed 11 o'clock, we have up-to-date plumbing, um, restroom facilities to be used here before the service. Bring your children, let them use the restroom, things like that. Um, and then during the service, tell them to hold it. When I was little, I, I can't remember one single time I ever got to go to the restroom in church, ever. And I lived. I lived to tell about it. I didn't go into septic shock or anything. And some of you have heard what Miss Brown said about let them sit through a service in their soaking wet underwear one time and they'll learn their lesson. They won't do it anymore because they don't like that. Again, and we're talking about out of diapers children. Use family worship as practice for church. If you'll discipline in the home, Sunday will be a lot easier. Sunday will be very much easier if you'll do it at home. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I know this has sort of been maybe lighter than some, but I think it would be a good opportunity for us to pray specifically for our church, for the families of this church, for the children of this church, for the future of this church. None of this is, is uh, off the side of the road information. If we want to have a church in 30 years, this is important. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll come to the Lord's table.